Christmas is God fulfilling his promises that he made. And it's about sin. God promised that he would deal with everything that's gone wrong. Overcoming fear and terror and conflict and the treachery of men. And Isaiah 7 is about one of these promises that God made, and he made it to a guy who did not want the promise. And he wanted to do his own thing, which was to overcome fear, terror, conflict, and the treachery of men. The problem was he wanted to do it his own way. And he surely did not believe that if a baby would be born, it would solve all his problems. And he didn't believe that promise because he wasn't listening. But it is really true. This particular baby is going to solve everything because this baby is God with us. And that means God is for us. That's what Christmas is. Are you interested? Okay. Then I'm going to read here in Isaiah chapter 7. Right at the beginning, it says, Now it came to pass in the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, king of Judah, that Retzin, king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, went up to Jerusalem to make war against it, but could not prevail against it. And it was told to the house of David, saying, Syria's forces are deployed in Ephraim. So his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out now to meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jeshub, your son, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool, on the highway to the fuller's field, and say to him, Take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted for these two stubs of smoking firebrands, for the fierce anger of Retzin and Syria and the son of Remaliah. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remaliah have plotted evil against you, saying, let us go up against Judah and trouble it, and let us make a gap in its wall for ourselves, and set us a king over them, the son of Tabal. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not stand, nor shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Retzin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be broken, so that it will not be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you will not be established. Moreover, the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. 
But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. All right, look at the context for this prophecy that is most surely applied to Jesus because the New Testament does it. The context text for this prophecy is instability, great danger, national fear. Uh, Retzin, king of Syria here, north of Judah, he is the main aggressor here. And he's attacking because he put together a coalition of nations to resist the king of Assyria. And he wanted Ahaz, king of Judah, to be part of that coalition. This isn't in the text, but it is a part of secular history, what was going on here. So Ahaz did not want to be part of this coalition to stand up against Assyria. He didn't think that was a good idea. So Retzin and the son of Remaliah are looking to take down Ahaz and stick in a puppet king and stand up to the king of Assyria. These are the situations that's going on right now. And it looks like Retzin is the main aggressor here. He's kind of the thinker and the organizer, and he's got the son of Remaliah in here, who seems to me to be like a really vile guy. And I get this because God never refers to him by his name. Do you notice in this? God will always call him the son of Remaliah, Remaliah's son. He won't even say his name. That's a way of showing contempt. And God is actually not impressed with either one of these guys, Ratsin or the son of Remaliah, because he calls them here in verse 4, two stubs of smoking firebrands. You know what that means? It means the fire's out, they're smoking, they smell bad. It's like, pff, open a window. There's smoke here, but no fire. All smoke, no light. But here are these two vile men with their armies camping against Judah in fierce anger. And they're planning evil. And they want to terrorize Judah. And I found that interesting because I study my Bible in a different translation than the New King James. It's just a strange quirk about me. And there, in the New American Standard, it says, 
let us terrorize Judah. And I looked up that word, and it means to cause sickening dread. This is not a new phenomenon that Hamas is practicing to cause terror and sickening dread. They're doing it right here. So let's kill Ahaz. Let's let him know, you're a dead man. We're going to take over your kingdom. We're going to put this nobody on the throne who's a real puppet, and you're dead. So, of course, when Ahaz hears this, Don't call me here. Look at that. You're supposed to turn off your phone in church. So Ahaz, it says in verse 2 here, his heart and the heart of his people were moved as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Can you see that? They're just at the mercy of the force of the wind. There is no stability there. They're freaked out. This terrorizing is working. Now, I find it interesting that the last thing that Ahaz wants is God's help. But God gives it to him anyway. God sends Isaiah and his son on purpose to meet Ahaz. And where Ahaz is standing right here, at the end of the aqueduct from the upper pool on the highway to the fuller's field, from this spot, Ahaz can see those armies that are encamped against him, the Syrians and the army from Israel. So he's looking at these armies and he's freaking out. I don't know how it is that he can just look at it with this fascination of, I'm going to die. And he keeps looking. And God says, take your son, go out there, and I want you to talk to him. And God's message to him in verse 4 is, take heed and be quiet. Do not fear or be faint-hearted. Guard yourself. Be quiet. Another way to translate this is get a grip and don't freak out. Because he says what they're planning here is not going to happen. Do you see these two armies camped and ready to take you out? It's not going to happen. And in fact, they're angry they talk tough, but in 65 years, they're not even going to exist. Isn't that crazy? Now, you know, 65 years from now is a long time to hold your breath. But God says, this is the real trajectory of these smoky stubs of firebrand that have gone out. They're on the way out. You're not supposed to be afraid of them because I'm telling you, they're not going to hurt you. Now, look at the end of verse 9. It's God's encouragement, but it's also an admonishment 
for Ahaz, if you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. If you won't believe, you won't last. Now, it's interesting that he says that because Ahaz's father, Jotham, believed God and God established him greatly. Ahaz's grandfather, Uzziah, believed God and God established him greatly. It says that about both of them. But Ahaz, as happens from time to time, has a godly father, a godly grandfather, and he does not believe a word of it. He's never believed God. He knows all the stuff, yada, 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 and he is not interested. In fact, he's been unfaithful and he's been stubborn, and he's gone after every other God out there. He has gone after idols, pagan rituals. He's even burned his sons in the fire to Molech. And it's all in this pursuit of peace and happiness and no bad luck and prosperity. And all these gods offer you peace, good luck, prosperity, all the good stuff, and you can get it all and not have to submit to God. You get to do your own thing. It's kind of like spiritual smorgasbord. I like the, the pickled herring, but I don't want you know, the fish casserole with mayonnaise. So I'm going to take the bits I think I can handle and leave the other stuff to the professionals. And this is what Ahaz is doing. And none of those gods that Ahaz has trusted in have helped him. Because it's all happened to him anyway. Aram, Syria, Israel, they're camped outside his front door. They're looking to kill him and loot the city, destroy everything, set up a puppet king. So here's a guy who would not listen to God, would not obey him, and he's not established, and he's coming apart. And it's right here that God comes to him and says, it's not going to happen. God says, I'm with you, and it's not going to happen. And then he does this crazy thing. In verses 10 and 11, he says, I'll prove it to you. And he says, ask me for a sign. Blank check. You can have anything you want to prove it's me talking to you and to prove I'm not going to let anybody hurt you. Now, this is what we call grace. This is goodness that is so over the top, you go, are you crazy? 
Here's a guy who's never believed God, run away from him, sought every other God, broken every rule in the book, and God says to him, I'm still for you. I'll prove it to you. Ask what you will. Do you want geese to fly over your head in the shape of a heart? Do you want ladybugs to spell out, I love you, Ahaz, as they float in the air? Man, the sky is the limit. You can have it all. I will prove it to you. There's nothing like this in the Bible. Oh, there is one other thing. It's in Malachi, and it's about tithing. But that's not this morning. God says, test me. I'll prove it to you. And can you imagine? Ahaz says, no, thank you. Are you kidding me? Look what he says. Verse 12, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Oh, doesn't that sound nice? Oh, I won't put the Lord to the test, not me. I wouldn't do that. Why, it says in Deuteronomy, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So I can't really obey God because I'm obeying God. Excuse me? You can't obey God because, well, you're obeying God. And that's when, in verse 13, you can't read it there in the Hebrew, but Isaiah goes, you know, one of these big breaths that says, are you crazy? I mean, you drive people nuts. Now you're trying to drive God nuts because you are a... And he doesn't really finish the sentence there. You're a pimple. That's what he wanted to say. Really? Now, the reason why Ahaz sidesteps this and doesn't ask God for a sign is because he doesn't want to obey God. Now, what would happen if he asked God for the most outrageous sign he could think of and God did it? You know what that means? There is a God. He hears you. He knows you. Now, if you know there's a God and you know he's for you, you really have to obey him, don't you? You can't say, oh, well, it's wonderful that there's a God who loves me and everything, but I'm still going to do my own thing. No, that's just gross. And so... You would have to say, okay, God, I'll do whatever you want because you're for me and everything. And it's like, okay. He says, no. I'm in control here. I'm still going to live my life. I got plans. I'm going to contact the king of Assyria. 
I'm going to tell him I'm on his side. He's going to help me out. I don't have to do anything God tells me to do. So I'm just going to say no thank you and hope he goes away. No thank you. And you know, people don't obey, they don't believe God because they don't want to obey him. You know, it's not an intellectual thing. It's not like, you know, there's not enough proofs. It's really sketchy, so I'm not going to believe. It's not intellectual. It's a matter of the will. Because if you believe God, then you obey him. And if you don't believe God, you don't obey him. That's why every time you sin, it's disobedience. It's unbelief. So you can prove this as well. I've done this. I've talked to people. I'm telling them about Jesus. And they say, look, if I prove to your satisfaction that there is a God, that Jesus really died for your sins, rose from the dead on the third day, will you believe? And without exception, they say, no. I go, okay. See, we're wasting our time here because it's not a matter of information. You will not obey. It's about choice. And so it's stubbornness. And he tries to cover it up by saying, well, you know, I can't obey because I'm too busy obeying God. And that's... That's when God gives Ahaz a sign that he doesn't even want. And you've got you to gotta just be amazed at God's persistence. But you know, he's really not talking so much to Ahaz anymore. Because Ahaz doesn't want this. You don't even read about Ahaz in the rest of Isaiah. He kind of fades out of the, the scene altogether. This is really about anybody who's listening. Anybody who's reading what Isaiah has to say, this is for you. And he says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, what do you think Ahaz is thinking when he hears this? Remember, he's never heard this before. He has no association with Christmas, with chipmunks roasting on an open fire, ring, jing, jingling. He's never heard this before. So what do you think he's hearing as he hears, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel? In my mind, I think he's rolling his eyes and just saying, really? Some lady is going to have a baby, and that solves everything. And I'm looking at these armies, and you're telling me this baby is going to solve everything. That doesn't even sound rational. I'm going to go get the king of Assyria. That is rational. He's got power. He's going to help me. 
So the answer is yes. This particular baby will solve everything. And again, the reason why Ahaz doesn't get it is he's not listening. Because virgin women do not conceive babies. That's not only unusual, it's impossible. And I know that there are people who say, well, you know, the word can also mean young woman. So there's nothing dramatic about this. But again, this is quoted about the birth of Jesus in the New Testament. That's what it refers to. Virgin women cannot conceive babies. There has to be a father in order to have a son. And the solution to this is that the Holy Spirit will come upon the virgin, the power of the Most High will overshadow her, and for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God, which really makes this child God with us. That is the meaning of Emmanuel. And the meaning of this is that when God is with us, it shows that God is for us. And that is the big deal. Now, you see this in the next chapter of Isaiah, chapter 8, uh, starting from, well, verse 8, how about? Talking about the king of Assyria and all his glory, he will go up over all his channels and go over all his banks. And verse 8 says, he will pass through Judah, he will overflow and pass over, he will reach up to the neck, and the stretching out of his wings fulfill the breadth of your land, O Emmanuel. And what God is saying here is that the king of Assyria is going to actually attack Judah like a flood. It's not going to work out the way Ahaz thinks it will. And this is documented in 2 Kings and in 2 Chronicles in the Bible. And whenever a king comes in like a flood, that means devastation. It means defeat. And then look at the next verse, verse 9. Be shattered, O you peoples, and be broken in pieces. Give ear, all you from far countries. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Gird yourselves, but be broken in pieces. Take counsel together, but it will come to nothing. Speak the word, but it will not stand, for God is with us. You see, this is actually talking about a time in the future when all the peoples will be gathered together, even from the remote places of the earth, against Israel. And they will prepare themselves for war. That's what it means, gird yourselves. That means get ready to fight. Take counsel together. Speak the word. This means proposals and plans and strategies. 
But all of this is against God. It's against God's people. So those gathered people are not God's people. This is not his war they're preparing for. This is not his plan or his proposal. This is against God and against God's people. And it says the peoples will be broken to pieces. The armies will be shattered. The plans will not succeed because of this son, this baby, Emmanuel. This person solves the terror, solves the problem of actual attacks of armies. All the darkness is solved because Emmanuel, God with us, is also God for us. Now, you can see the relevance to our Christmas this year. And we can see darkness in the world, terrorism. You know, there are real wars going on that threaten to really engulf the entire world. And as soon as Iran gets a nuclear weapon, everybody is going to know about it because they want to use it. Except Israel has nuclear weapons too. And so does the United States and Germany and a whole lot of people. It's crazy. We're kind of going forward an entire world about to blow itself up. And with all that, this Christmas, God says, take care. Don't fear. Don't be faint-hearted. He wants you to have peace. You know, Jesus said the same thing. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. So one thing that's important to do is to actually receive God with you for you. <laughs> you have to ask Jesus into your life. And I trust that everybody here has done that. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And you know that you believe him when you obey him. You know, I, I, I don't know what I thought. I have accepted Jesus probably about 20 or 30 times in my life. And I always wondered, how do I know if, if I'm plugged into heaven, if, if Jesus is really in my life. What, what's going to happen? I never had a tingle. This is it. I'm really a Christian now. 
Here's how to know. Do you obey him? You go, really? If I could do that, I wouldn't need to be a Christian. I mean, I'm a sinner, right? But the amazing thing that God does is he works in your life and you obey him anyway. And you take the idols and the things that you've trusted in and you actually get rid of them. You say, no, this is stupid. Even if they come back, you go, what are you doing here? And you find yourself continually getting rid of idols that keep popping up. And you say, God, help me to obey you or kill me. And you find that even against your own will, you are obeying God. Even when it comes to confessing your sins, you confess them anyway. And it's embarrassing, isn't it? And it's awful. Do I have to do this? Yes, you do. And you do it anyway. You go, but look at you. You're obeying God. That means you're a believer. Because you're obeying him. Now, if you will not believe, if you will not submit to him, then you're not going to be established. And you're not God's child. And you're actually planning against him. And you will be broken. You will be shattered. You can't be established apart from Jesus in your life. So if you really understand this and realize that God is saying to you, I am with you. That means he is for you. And then Paul asks that rhetorical question in Romans 8. If God is for us, then who can be against us? Doesn't that pop into your brain? And the answer is, everybody and everything. But then, who are they next to God? So, this Christmas, do not be troubled by what you see, what you hear, what you read. But instead, here we are. God can even deal with the unbelief that is in your family that refuses to budge. And you pray and you pray and you pray and nope, not going to obey God. Uh Uh-uh. Well, that's up to him, isn't it? Let's not let any of these things get us down. Because God is with us, and that means he's for us. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord, that you want to show us unmistakably that you're for us. And I know for myself, I've been so slow to believe this, and I'm still learning it. You really are for me, and you're for every person listening to my voice.
no matter how disobedient, unbelieving, wayward, And so, what can we say? You're the best. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead. Thank you that Jesus does solve everything. Bless this Christmas. I know there are some people who are looking for jobs and need them. And I pray that you would give jobs to those people who need them. And give us what we need this coming year. Thank you so much that you're with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.